0: Bible reading this morning comes from Acts 13, uh, verse 1 to 12. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manine, lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of, the, of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphros, they came to a certain magician, a Jewish Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the pronschool Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Almas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the pronschool away from the faith. But Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, Thanks. Thanks,
1: Ethan. And uh, it will be really good if you keep your Bible open there at Acts 13, uh, which is what we're going to be focusing on this morning. Uh, Hopefully, you've uh, received a sermon outline uh, with the email that went out a couple of days ago. There's also a long version, which has got some extra questions on it, uh, maybe for younger people. And then there's a a briefer one with some discussion questions at the bottom of it. Uh, So it might be handy to help you follow along to Get them printed off before we meet together uh, and that gives us uh, an opportunity to go through this uh, together. Now over the last couple of months uh, I've been reading a book, I should actually be honest, I've been listening uh, to an audio book. uh, A book that is all about the golden age of polar exploration. Uh, It's a book about the turn of the 19th to the 20th centuries when explorers were seeking to be the first people to the opposite ends of the Earth. First of all, the North Pole, and then particularly focused on the race to be the first to the South Pole. You see, at that time, the South Pole was one of the last unexplored places on the planet. Uh, Literally, it was the very ends of the Earth. Now, as we make our way through the book of Acts, we have been looking at and we've been thinking about another movement to the ends of the earth. This is not a movement of explorers or of people. It's the movement of the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember all the way back to Acts chapter one. This is a a fair while ago where we, we, we were reminded that this book is about the the continuing work of the Lord Jesus, or that he continues to do and teach by the power of the Holy Spirit through the witness of the church. And he said to those very first disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now, so far in the book of Acts, we've, Been mostly focused around this initial spread, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. But now the gospel is going to go out from a new center, the church in Antioch. Now, in my reading or my listening about uh, polar explorers, uh, one thing became clear to them quite early on is that they couldn't reach the South Pole in one summer. They had to wait for the ice to melt for their ships to go in. And they had to go there and back before the ice froze over again and their ships would be stuck for another winter. So what they did is they traveled to the South Pole in, in one summer. And there they set up a, a base camp. They wintered there and could begin their exploration early the next summer. They had this home base from which they could continue their journey to the ends of the earth. Well, when we come here to the start of chapter 13, we're brought to a new home base for the ongoing work of the gospel. It's this church in Antioch. We were introduced to them a couple of weeks ago. We were reminded at that time that this city of Antioch was was quite significant. It's the third largest city in the Roman Empire at the time. It's, it's multicultural. It's it's cosmopolitan. But in chapter 13, we get this little snapshot of what this church is like, what this, this new home base for the spread of the gospel. And as it's introduced, there's a couple of things that, that really stand out. The first one is its leadership. If you notice there in, in chapter 13, verse 1 it, and 2, it, it mentions five leaders in that church, uh, prophets and teachers. And what all the commentators highlight is the diversity of names there. There's Jewish names and there's Gentile names. There's people from North Africa, people from Cyprus, people from Jerusalem, people of higher standing and people of not so high standing. Incredibly, this, this little leadership team, it reflects the city in which they live. And it probably reflects the makeup of the church there in Antioch. But the main thing that is highlighted about this little church is its Godward focus. You notice how, how we find them straight away? They are worshipping and fasting. And that's not just the leaders. That's, that's the whole church worshipping and fasting when the Holy Spirit speaks to them. And after the Holy Spirit has given them this instruction, what do they do? Well, they, they spend more time praying and fasting. They're determining whether this, this really is the will of God and they're preparing for the task that God has called to them, focused on God himself. You see, sometimes we we, we might feel this little bit of a tension. What should the church be focusing on? Should should it be focused on God, on, on growing as disciples of Jesus, maturing, or should it be focused on mission? Is one more important than the other? Does one take priority over the other? But what we find in the New Testament and in this church in Antioch is that they actually go together. They go hand in hand. The church is both about growing and worshipping, and it's about the mission that Jesus has sent them on. Now, in a way, we've tried to reflect this somewhat in our own church mission statement. It's not the only statement you could have. It's probably not a perfect statement. But our mission statement is to, to make mature, and mobilise committed followers of Jesus. We've tried to recognise that we're to be about both things together, growing as disciples, worshipping God, and about the mission he sent us on. Now, a couple of years ago, we were involved in a Vine project here at South Barland, and we were thinking about our church and what our focus is actually on. Do we, do we actually focus on one over the other? And as we looked at the various ministries of the church and the things that we're doing, we we were probably convicted that we've been more focused on maturing and growing disciples. And so over the last little while, we've, we've tried to rebalance that and we're going to have to keep trying. But at the same time, we've got to be aware not to go so too far and ignore the growing, maturing part. Because the reality is you don't have one without the other. You're not really maturing if you're not going out on mission. And you can't go out on mission unless you're growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now in this ongoing work of Jesus, this church here in Antioch, up until this point, had really been a receiving church. Uh, back in chapter 11, it was people who took the gospel from persecution in Jerusalem up to Antioch and, and shared the good news there. When they, the church in Jerusalem heard about this, they sent Barnabas up to Antioch, and he, he was an encourager there, remember? And then Barnabas, he went and got Saul, and he brought him up to Antioch, and they continued to work and to minister there. They, they had been kind of a receiving church up until this point. But here, something changes. They're going to be a sending church. But notice how this starts. It starts with God, who is the sender. Notice that it says there in verse 2, that while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. God tells them God sends. It says that in verse 4, that having been sent out by the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't know how, God, how, God, how the Holy Spirit told them. Uh, maybe it was through one of the prophets. Maybe it was a, a growing sense of awareness in the church. Maybe it was a, a call to Barnabas and Saul that they shared and, and the rest of the church agreed with. We're not sure. But what we do know is that it started with God. God calling his church not to just be a a gathering church, but also a sending church. Now, of course, the church is made up of of people who gather. We have been brought together by the gospel. We've been brought together by Christ. We're people who, who meet together who encourage each other, who who learn together, who grow together, who who fellowship together. But at the same time, we're called to be ascending church. We're called by God to be people who go. You know, our own church at South have we've we've experienced a fair bit of that in our history. Over the last many, many years, we've been a church that's, for example, had students that have been part of us, and they've lived as part of us, and uh, students at the Reformed Theological College and uh, been trained while, while they've been here, and then they've they've gone out from us. We've had the hub, of course, who were were part of us and who were sent out from us. We've got Reuben and and Sean who who are a part of us at the moment, but Lord willing, they'll they'll go from us for gospel work in the near future we've got simon and anna who are in the solomons who who were part of us but have gone we've had julian who's been in many places of the world part of us but gone and church we we need to keep our eyes open and our hearts open for how might god might do this again in the future that he will still be calling people to go and groups of people to go out for the work that he has called them to. And that's a costly calling and none that doesn't come easy. Now, as I talk about this, I realise that we do do need to address the elephant in the room um, on this issue. Because we have had an experience over the last six or seven years with the hub that may make us cautious or wary or reluctant to be ascending church. The danger of our experiences is that that this might cause us to be resistant to be ascending church. Now, no doubt that we we have lots to learn from, from the work of the hub. And we have much to give thanks for as well for what God has done through this ministry and the people that he's he's drawn to himself. And we can learn from that and we, we must learn from that. But because it maybe didn't turn out the way that we had anticipated or the way that we had hoped, it shouldn't make us resistant to be ascending church in the future. We've got to be open to where God is leading us. To not just be a church that gathers, but a church that sends individuals, groups of people. At some point, we don't know, but we need to be open to it. And it is going to be costly. It is always costly. You can imagine here for this church at Antioch, they get this this word from God, set aside Barnabas and Saul. Now, no offense to any of the other leaders there. I mean, maybe they were maybe they were great, great guys, but Barnabas and Saul, come on, God, maybe you can choose somebody else. We've got some other guys. But no, God asks for their best and they willingly send them on their way. But I also want to say that there is another way in which God calls us to be both a gathering and ascending church. And that's with each and every one of us, each and every week. We're to be a church that gathers, that meets. And, well, at the moment it's online and, Lord willing, one day it'll be back together in person. We meet in home groups and in youth ministries and in people's homes with fellowships. But at the same time, we're also a sent church. Every week, we are sent to our own homes, our workplaces, our sports clubs, our universities, our schools, our neighborhoods. And we are sent for the work that God has called us to, bearing witness to the work of the Lord Jesus. All of us, are sent as contributors to this work of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, we might never be called to go overseas. We might not be called to be a missionary to to anywhere, but we are called to go to people who haven't heard the good news yet. They exist in our neighborhoods. They exist in our community. We're called to come to Christ, to each other, but also to go in Jesus' name. I remember one of my earliest, some of my earliest memories uh, as a kid, uh, being sent by my parents uh, down to buy, to the local shop. Uh, we called it a milk bar here in New Zealand when I was growing up, it was called, called a dairy for some reason. And usually it was uh, out to buy some bread or, or maybe. A bottle of milk. It wasn't wasn't very far, but it was this it was this great adventure, and I had this great sense of privilege that I was considered old enough and responsible enough and trustworthy enough to take mum and dad's money and and to go and buy something from the local shop. See, so you and I, we we all have a great privilege entrusted to us by our Heavenly Father. The privilege of knowing Christ, but also making Him known. We have the the words of life given to us. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're part of a team of people who are about this work together and sent to people who haven't heard the good news yet. Now that I've said that, I I am going to carry on and look at this next first part of this journey, but it's going to be a a passage that's going to make us maybe wary about it, because what we see next is is what we are being sent to and into. From this this new mission base here in Antioch, God now sends uh, Saul and Barnabas, and they travel down to the island of Cyprus. And they work their way through the island and preaching particularly in the synagogue. And next week we'll have a little bit more about the strategy that that they have. Now, really interesting sidebar here, I just want to note, um, so an interesting change takes place here, doesn't it? Uh, There's a double change. First of all, uh, Saul's name is changed to Paul or he becomes known as Paul. Uh, He probably takes on this, this Greek name because he is going to the Gentile world. But the more subtle shift is from here on, they will no longer be Barnabas and Saul, they will be Paul and Barnabas. Uh, This encourager, Barnabas, that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, he he takes a step back and he enables Paul to take a step forward. And Paul takes the lead now in, in this preaching, teaching ministry. And as they go through the island, Luke focuses on one particular incident. It's an incident of opposition and an incident that shows the power of the gospel. You see, they're invited to go into the home or to meet with the pro council of the island. That's like the Roman governor. That's like kind of doing a a preaching tour through Victoria and maybe Dan Andrews says, Hey, come, come on over to my place. And, and and let me know what you're talking about. But as they go into him and they speak, they face this incredible opposition. It comes from this this guy uh, who is called Elemis. He's a magician and also described as a false Jewish prophet. And he intentionally Seeks to divert the proconsul's attention away from the gospel. Now, last week we we were reminded of the different ways, some of the different ways that opposition can come when we looked at, at Herod. But here we're reminded that behind all opposition is the evil one, Satan. The one whom whom Paul will describe in a a letter later on. The one who has, the God of this age, who has blinded the minds of men so they cannot see the light of the gospel. We're reminded that as we, we have this task, as we're sent to proclaim, there is a real enemy and a real opponent. And there will be people who don't just not want to listen, who are openly antagonistic, to the gospel word. I had a little reminder of that over this last week. I don't know if you noticed, uh, if you're on the church Facebook page, but um, we started up a, a church YouTube ch- channel to put some of the music up and also put the sermons up uh, after they're recorded a couple of days later. And so we did that this week. We, we put up the sermon and we put a link to it on our Facebook page. And I tried a little experiment. I tried to promote the post with the YouTube clip in it. I lasted about two days and then I actually had to stop it because it was creating comments on our Facebook page in fierce opposition and some of the things that were being written there were were downright horrible and it was a reminder that there's not just people who ignore the message or don't want to listen to the message. There is opposition to the gospel and it can be harsh and it can be cruel. You see, we need to be aware of that and we need to be wary of it. As God sends us, well, as he sends his people, he he sends us into a world and even Jesus described it as, as wolves, things that want to tear us apart. But in this passage here, we're also encouraged because this blindness and this darkness and the opposition is not the last say. Here, Paul confronts this this magician, this false prophet directly. He calls him out for what he is. And by the power of God, this prophet is made blind. It's ironic, isn't it? As he was trying to blind the proconsul, He himself is made blind. And at the same time, when the proconsul sees this, he is amazed at the gospel word. And he believes, he puts his faith in Jesus. Because while the God of this age seeks to blind, the God of heaven and earth seeks to bring light. See, why why would we go in the face of opposition? Why would we speak to people who don't want to hear? We do so in the hope that God of heaven and earth is calling people out of darkness into his wonderful light. He is causing the light of the gospel to break through into dark hearts so that people repent and belief people are transferred from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light and that's the hope that we have that's what we pray for that's the desire that spurs us on in obedience to God sending us it's not easy we do have opposition and trial but we have a God who is overcome and he calls us to be faithful to him. Let's pray together, shall we? Almighty God and heavenly father, we thank you that you are the sending God. We thank you that you sent your own son into this world to suffer and to die, to pay the penalty of sin so that we could be set free. Thank you that you sent from the beginning your people with your word to proclaim the gospel. Thank you that you sent them into our lives and that we heard the word of life and you opened up our hearts and you brought us to faith and to life. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful privilege of being a gathered church, of being a people together, And thank you, Lord, for this privileged high calling of being a people who are sent. Lord God, we ask that you would overcome our reluctance, our hesitation, and our worry. That you would overcome our fears and anxieties and cause us to have hope in you, in your power, and in the work of the gospel. Lord God, please use us wherever you send us, in our schools, in our neighbourhoods, in our sporting clubs, in our workplace. Lord, use us, we pray, so that Jesus might be made known and you might be honoured. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.